Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another one of our weekly podcasts. My name is Richard. On behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Last week, we continued our study through the book of Proverbs with Pastor Chris as we took a look at the virtuous woman. This week, we're going to be continuing our study of pondering the Proverbs as we take a look at how to be a great parent. Now, with all that said and done, let's go ahead and dive into this week's message with Pastor Chris. Get off the steps, you drunkard. Those were the words that she heard from the priest. There Hannah was crying, wailing, bemoaning, seeking after God, praying that the Lord would bless the womb. And what did she get from the priest? Get out of here. What did she get from her husband? Uh, A big, I'm not really into you. What did she get from the other women of her life? You're cursed. Everybody knocked her down, but she sought the Lord. And there she was crying, weeping, seeking his face. And the scripture says, and the Lord remembered Hannah. The Lord remembered her, opened her womb. She conceived and bore a child. And then Hannah did what she promised God. She honored her word. What was her word? Lord, give me this child and I'll dedicate him back to you. And so she takes the child after she weans him. She takes him to the Lord and she says these words, Lord, he is yours. And she dedicates him to God. Little baby grows up to little kid Samuel. Little kid Samuel hears and knows the voice of the Lord. Little kid Samuel grows up to be a prophet Little Samuel grows up to be a priest. Little Samuel honors the Lord with his life. Why? Because his mom dedicated him unto the Lord. This morning and next week, we're going to look at parenting. Parenting part one, you're going to say, you don't even have kids. I say you're right. Parenting part two is Brian. He has kids. So we're covering all our bases. When I was in school, the the counselor in our counseling session told us the best counselors for marriage are those who are not married because they don't bring their own experiences. They stick straight to the Bible. The best uh, uh, counselors for parenting are those who don't have kids because they don't bring their own experiences. They just bring the word of God. So I don't know if that's true or not. I hope it is. We're banking on it. Anyway, long story short, we're going to be looking at parenting and all that it takes. But before we even get into that, we just have to cover some bases about just the family structure itself. And then we can get into scripture. When you look at God and his creation, you see everything is done with decency and order. Micro, macro. You look at neutrons and electrons and and all the the matter and the objective world from the cycling of the planets to the turning of the sun to the migration of animals from the telescope to the microscope. Everywhere you look, God's there and there's order 
and there's logic. When it gets cold, the birds fly south for the winter. When it gets cold, we put on a jacket. Everything is done with reason. Everything is done with logic and order. Even the natural laws of gravity have order. That's why we can fly planes and build buildings, and they stay and they work, because we observe God's objective reason, and we live by that. There's not just the objective world. There's the narrative moral world as well. And we know that to be true. When God created Israel, he brought them out of Egypt and he established the nation. They were physical people with a physical land, with milk and with honey and real produce and all the rest. And yet God, when he established his law, gave a civil law, gave a moral law and the ceremonial or sacrificial law. In other words, he says, the objective world, there's order and reason, and how you are to be morally and interact with one another, there is to be reason and there is to be order too. You're not to murder one another. You're not to covet your neighbor's wife. There's to be logic, order, and reason. When we come into the family unit, there is to be order, logic, and reason. The family identified by God is one man, one male, one female, and the offspring or the children. That is the only uh, verifiable true form of family in the eyes of God as far as intermediate relations. It is the husband, the wife, and the children. And each one play a very specific and important role within the family unit to keep order and to keep logic and reason within, you know, the life of those people. So the husband, he is to be the leader of the home. He is to to rule, if you will, in love. If there's a tie break between him and wifey, the husband is to win the tie break. You say, well, why is the man the leader? I say it's not always greener on the, the grass isn't greener on the other side. With great responsibility or great power comes great responsibility. And so as leaders, you are responsible to God. You mess up the family unit. You're not treating your wife well. You're doing wrong to your kids. God says to the husband, Mira, come here, sit in my office and let's talk. And so God is going to go after the leader. Then you have the wife. She is to submit to her husband's leading, and she is to love her kids and to love her husband. For, or Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Now, she doesn't have a, ta- a tattoo that says welcome across her chest because she is not designed to be her, her children or her husband's doormat. She is called the oiko despotos in Greek, which is the ruler of the home. She is the quarterback, if you will, driving the troops downfield. She is the the manager of the home, and she too has authority within the home. Then you have the children. So mom and dad, they make up the leadership of the home. Here come the offspring. And what is the responsibility of the children in the home? (laughs) to honor their father and mother, which is essentially love and respect put together. They are to love and respect or honor father and mother and essentially obey or do as they're told. That's the family unit. Two men and children is not a family. Two women and children is not a family. Uh, A single family mom is not the family that God intended. A single family dad, you say it doesn't happen. Well, it's gone up 600% in the last 60 years. So there's a lot of single family or single fathers out there. That is not how God intended it to be. How do I know that? Statistics. 
85% of children who their father and their mother has stayed married within the home, 85% of those kids will never see poverty. That's powerful. 15% of people who grow up with a mom and a dad will see poverty. Outside of that, you're going to do okay financially. When you're looking at morality, 85% chance if mom and dad are in the home that your kid will not commit suicide, be strung out on hard drugs, be imprisoned, or murder someone. 85% if mom and dad stay together. That's it. We're not even talking gospel. We're not talking churchgoers. We're not talking, you know, having your kids serve the Lord. We're just talking staying together. 85% chance they won't kill themselves. They won't kill someone else. They won't end up in prison and they won't be strung out on hard drugs. That's the value of parenting. That's the power of parenting. What is a parent to do? Provide, 1 Timothy 5, 8, the necessities of your child, protect from outside influences or forces that can hurt them and pattern the child's life after the Lord. And so before we even open the Bible, two things I really want us to get across. Number one, and here's the truth we have to understand about our kids. Your kids are not your kids. (laughs) Mind blown emoji. Your kids are not your kids. They're the Lord's kids. They're lent to you. They have, you're borrowing them from God and he expects a return on his investment. Your kids are the Lord's kids. In Ezekiel chapter 18, starting at verse one, it says, then when the word of the Lord came to me saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, the fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. So in Israel, there was a proverb or a common saying, and it was that saying. And what it means is the children were blaming their fathers and their grandfathers for their own sin. Oh, it's because my dad's a drunk. That's why I'm an alcoholic. You know, it's a disease. No, it's not. Your parents did not force the bottle, you know, the liquid down your throat. You do that yourself. And so in Israel, they were blaming the forefathers. They were blaming their dads, their granddads, their moms, everybody else for their own sin and not taking accountability. And this is what God says on that. As I live, Ezekiel 18.3 declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine, the soul of the father as well as the soul of the son. The soul who sins will die. Now, the point I'm trying to make from that is this. Your child's soul is the Lord's. Psalm 24, verse one, David writes this. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. So number one, your kids are not yours. They belong to God. You're just entrusted with them. Number two, your kid is a blessing and not a curse. Your children are a blessing and not 
a curse. In Psalm 127, verse three through five, I'll read it to you. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gates. So two things. One, your child is not yours. However, God has given you a very specific blessing through your children. Think about it. Your fingerprint, your toe print, your heel print, your tongue print are all unique. Out of the billions of people, there is no one like you. And there is no one like your child. Although they are not yours, God allows you to have them as your own personal blessing from God. It is a a place of joy. It's a place of, of pure happiness. It's a place of real agape love. You love your children even to the point of death. People that don't have kids cannot understand that form of love. That happens through parenting, and that is a blessing. Another blessing is you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ so much more powerfully. When you think as a parent, would I allow my child to be sacrificed for murderers and rapists and serial killers and all the rest? Would I have my child killed for everybody else? Would you? Would you sacrifice your firstborn or any of your kids for the world's worst? And yet God has done that for us. And so the child is an absolute blessing, but we must realize that that blessing is one that is on borrowed time. They are lent to you for a purpose. Now, since parents are important, since there's order in the home, since we know that they are a blessing, and since we know that they aren't ours, they have been entrusted to us, how can we be great parents? How can we do it? So turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22, and we're going to start at verse 6. Proverbs chapter 22, starting at verse 6. And this is how to be a great parent according to God, part 1. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old he will not depart from it. So let's look at the verb first, train. When you hear the word train or read the word train, what comes to mind? Immediately, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Instruction, teaching, okay? When I think training, I think working out. What else? (laughs) Exercise, he said, there you go, exercise. What else? brainwash them. I like that. Okay. When I think training, I think like military exercise. I think boot camp. I think working out. I think anything that is putting forth a a lot of effort. What is it? Practicing repetitions. The word training here in Hebrew is the, is the word chanach. And we'll get to that in a second, but it's the Hebrew word to, um, oh goodness. I just completely went blank. Dedicate. There we go. I was like, what did Hannah do with her child? It's the Hebrew word to dedicate. 
So I think training, and I'm thinking like, work those kids out. You know what I mean? Get that rod and put them to work and, you know, get out there with the horses and nothing like that. It's the Hebrew word to dedicate. It's used, used in the Old Testament to, de- uh, Testament to dedicate a home to the Lord. It was used by Solomon to dedicate the temple of the Lord. And it was used by the priests to dedicate all the tools used in the sacrificial system for God. Now, this idea of dedication, it's the Hebrew word chanach. So in Christmas time, the Jews have a holiday. Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Now, what is Hanukkah? The feast of what? No. <laughs> no. The feast of dedicate. She's Googling it. Look at it. We have bad service, sister. We have bad service here. No. Hanukkah is the feast of dedication. The word Hanach means to dedicate. So how do you Hanach? You do two things. Consecration, sanctification. Those are the two things to dedication. What are those? Sanctification is what we call spiritual maturity. Sanctification is we are setting aside for a holy purpose. Consecration is making something holy. It's the act of making something holy. So as, as parents, we are to dedicate our children to the Lord, <clears throat> both through consecration and through sanctification. So when we look at the temple sacrifice, suppose Brian and his family brought a Passover lamb, right? It's Passover time. They want to sacrifice it and they're bringing it up to the altar of God there at the temple. And I take that sacrificial lamb. And what happens when you, you kill an animal? There's a whole lot of something that comes all over the place, right? Blood is flying all over the place. <clears throat> so in the temple, they have the vessels that are sanctified, dedicated and consecrated to God for the purpose of honoring the Lord. So they don't pull any old rusted, you know, knife from a toolbox that they got in the back, or they don't go to a dollar tree on their way to the temple to get a basin. All of those things were created for the purpose of honoring the Lord. And so those tools had one purpose. They were used to bless God. They were set apart, sanctified, and they were made holy, consecrated, so that they can be dedicated to God. As parents, that's what you do with your child. They are a vessel in the hand of the Lord to bless him. And we get that vessel prepared through dedicating them to God. Consecration, sanctification. How do we do that? Two ways. Instruction and instilling, or teaching and discipline. Those are the two primary roles of the parent in the home, to teach and instruct, and then to discipline when they fall away, when they get off base. And so here we are, Proverbs 22, 6, we are to dedicate in which, in which way? How? How are we to dedicate our children to the Lord? in the way he should go. Let me read you the exact Hebrew so we get the context and then we'll break it down. The the phrase in the way he should go literally means according to the mouth. That's the Hebrew, according to the mouth. 
dedicate your child according to the mouth. You're like, what does that mean? Don't worry, I was in the same boat. I was like, how, what does this even mean? So I was like digging through everything, trying to find answers. What does this mean? It's a Hebrew idiom, which is a, is a Hebrew saying. We have all kinds of sayings. The cat got your tongue. Now we understand that idiom not to mean a physical cat has grabbed your tongue, but that you're quiet. You know, you're, you're being more quiet than normal. So that's an idiom. This uh, phrase, uh, according to the mouth, is a Hebraic idiom, and it means obedience. So slave masters would tell their servants or slaves, go pick the vine or, or go clean the house or whatever, and the servants would do it according to the mouth. Whatever the master or servant or those in authority said, according to the mouth, was to be done. So then here's the question, is according to whose mouth? According to whose mouth are we to dedicate our children to? Now, the Judeo-Christian pastor would say, according to the Lord's mouth. And although that's correct, and although we'll get there, we're missing a step. This was written about 950 BC. So 950, even a thousand years before Christ came to fulfill the gospel, There was the mandate by God to train up your child according to the mouth. Now, they didn't know Christ. They didn't know resurrection power. The way didn't refer to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life in Old Testament, Proverbs 22, 6. So what is it referring to according to whose mouth? The parent's mouth. And so what is the way referring to when he's talking about it in Proverbs? He's talking about the way of wisdom. He's teaching, the parents are teaching the children the way of wisdom. And as we'll break that down, it it begins with the fear of the Lord. So obviously it leads to Christ and salvation. But in context, it's talking about dedicating your child in the way of wisdom, according to the mouth of the parents. How do I know that? Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs 1 verse 1 through 9. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Now, why did Solomon write the Proverbs? To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understandings, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are great, a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments around your neck. So according to the word is what? Wisdom, instruction, teaching, um, wise behavior, righteousness, justice, equity, and to fear the Lord. 
That is how you teach your children the way of wisdom. In chapter two and in verse one, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. Verse six, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Let me read you one more. Proverbs chapter four, starting at verse one. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father according to the mouth and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in my mother's sight, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live, acquire wisdom, Acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom and with all acquiring, get understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. Verse 10, hear my son and accept my sayings and the many years of your life will be added. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. So the parents are teaching their children over and over and over again the way of wisdom. So when you dedicate your child in the way of wisdom, you are honoring God. So where does wisdom come from? Comes from God and his word. How can, darn, how can we know God's wisdom? Know the Bible. If dedicating your child in the way of wisdom is what God's will is for you parents, and God gives wisdom and God has given wisdom through his word, then what should parents be teaching their children day in and day out, over and over? The word of God. Would you turn with me to the New Testament, to 2 Timothy chapter 3? And we're going to take verse 16. I think I put it up there for you. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So there's four things that are profitable that really turns into two groups. The first group deals with teaching. The second group deals with disciplining. So the word of God is profitable for teaching and reproof. And the word reproof means to correct error. So your child or they've learned that you were raised, they were raised uh, from an animal or your child comes home and their, their teacher is saying, hey, there's no such thing as male and female. You know, it's, there's not non-binary and all the rest, right? Reproofing is teaching your children the correct way of thinking. So 
the Bible or the word of God is profitable for teaching and correction. And then the second group there is for um, tr- uh, correction, which is the Greek word to restore something new. You have a broken tail light. How do you correct it? You restore it back to new. So it's the idea of restoration and training and discipline is the Greek word for training and righteousness is the Greek word for discipline. So the word of God does two main things, teaches and corrects, and it disciplines and restores. So it teaches you, it breaks you down, then it builds you back up the correct way. So parents, what exactly are we to teach our children when it comes to the word of God? Here are some very specific things. Number one, teach them salvation in Christ alone by faith alone. That is one way in which you are teaching the way of wisdom to your children. That salvation comes through Christ alone by faith alone. Check it, check verse 15. It's the one just before verse 16, if anybody had any questions. Second Timothy 2, we'll actually start at verse 14. You, however, speaking to Timothy, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the, what's that word? Wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So first of all, Paul acknowledges Timothy knew the sacred scriptures, and knew the gospel from his youth. Who taught him? We read that last week. Mom and grandma. We don't know where dad was, but the parents taught young Timothy the gospel. Salvation through Christ alone by faith alone. Now, when you're teaching your kids that, what are other questions going to come? What are some questions that may come up? Mom, dad, what's salvation? Salvation from what? Who gives salvation? Why do we want salvation? All of these questions are going to be starting to get unpacked and unfolded as you start talking about this. Salvation from what? Hell. What is hell? Well, you tell them. What is heaven? You tell them, who is God? What has God done for me, for you? What is sin? What does God require of us? How can we be right with God? All of that is unpacking what uh, Timothy's mom and grandmother had been pouring into him. So we teach them salvation by Christ alone. Number two, we teach them servitude. We're teaching our kids how to love and serve other human beings. Look at verse 17. The word of God has been given to us, verse 17, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We're teaching the gospel, and then we're training our kids to go out and be a slave to everybody else, a servant to everybody else, elevating and blessing other people, not looking to get our bowl filled. We're not looking for me, myself, and I. We're not training up our young kids to be the masters and rulers. We're training them up to be servants of all. 
and you teach them. This is exactly what me as your parent is called to do. Ephesians chapter two, eight through 10. Verse 10 says we are to walk and do good works, which God has, you know, predestined us or, or put out beforehand or before time. We are called to serve one another. How are some beautiful ways in which you can get your children to serve? Be creative with that. I'm sure you guys can figure it out, right? They can serve you. They can serve your siblings. You can have them come and serve the church. The point is you're instilling from a young age the principles that you're dying to self and you're going to put other people first. Here's the third thing we teach our kids, to love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter six, starting at verse five. Deuteronomy six, five. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. The parents are to be instilling in their children to love the Lord your God with everything you have. Do you know why that's so difficult? Because they're going to look at your life and they're going to see, does my mom, does my dad love the Lord their God with all their heart? Or are they just spewing something that they want me to do, but they're not following themselves? And that's why Christians and Christian parenting is so hard because there's no denying it. There's no faking it. Your kids are watching you at all times. They're listening. They're seeing. They're observing. You can't fake it. You can't be a a Christian Sunday morning and not a Christian every time else. You can't instill and teach something that you yourself are not doing. If you're not loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, how are you possibly going to teach your kids to do so? You're not. They're going to look at you as a hypocrite. They're going to look at the faith as a hypocrite, and they're going to walk away. So we are called to teach them how to love the Lord, your, their God, with all their heart. Here's another one we're supposed to do. The word reproof means to correct, and it means to correct error. We are to teach our children how to defend the faith. That's another responsibility on part of mom and dad to uh, teach your kids how to defend the faith. Hey, mom, teacher said something today that that didn't sound right. Hey, dad, my biology teacher told me something today that, you know, we came from a dog or whatever the case, evolution. You know, is this right? You are teaching your kids how to defend the faith. So that when they go off to college, when they go into high school, when they're in middle school and they're hearing all this uh, knowledge that is untrue, they will be able to discern and then defend their position with their classmates, their teachers, those in the highways and byways. Don't underestimate how smart your kids are. They're a lot smarter than what you think. So the, the parents are to teach their children dedicating their children to the word of God by teaching them salvation through Christ, loving the Lord their God, serving and honoring God and blessing other people, and then to trust God in every manner of life. 
Proverbs chapter three, verse one. We are to instill in our kids that no matter how hard life is, no matter how hard you're beat up, no matter how hard you wanna quit, you know, badly you wanna quit, never stop trusting in God. Proverbs chapter three, starting at verse one. And let me flip there. My son, do not forget my teaching according to the mouth, but let your heart keep my commandments. What's his commandments? Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. How do we teach to trust in God no matter what? Precept, which is Proverbs 3, 5, you teach them the principles from the word of God and then you practice it. So they're watching you and they're overhearing the rent's late. They're overhearing the uh, Edison's gonna turn the, the power off. They're overhearing, hey, dad just got fired. They're overhearing all of this. Okay, now it's time. Kids are watching. Are they gonna Proverbs 3, 5 it? Are they gonna trust in the Lord with all their heart? Are They've been telling us, trust God, trust God, be faithful. He will honor you. Let's see it. And so parents were teaching in precept to trust God and then we're practicing through life's events. I think one of the greatest examples of this is Abraham, the father of faith himself. Genesis chapter 22, you know the story. Abraham is taking his young son, Isaac, and he's gonna take him out Mount Moriah. And what's gonna happen to old Isaac? Dunzo, right? He's gone. Uh, Genesis chapter 22 and verse one is a perfect example of trusting the Lord with all your heart. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took the two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from the distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there. And anybody following? You want to fill in that last verse five? And, and what is the word? We will worship. And return to you. There you go. I was like, goodness, where am I going? And we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. 
So the two of them walked on together. So Isaac sees a problem. Pops, there's an issue here. And you can fill in the blank, whatever problem is in life. Uh, The son sees a problem and he says, dad, there's an issue. What are we going to do? We need help. We're in need. So the son turns to the father for help. And what does Abraham do? He turns to the Lord. God will provide himself the lamb. So profound when you think it took three days to go up Mount Moriah. Most likely that's the Mount called Calvary, where the son really died in the New Testament. So profound. Anyway, not to get off course. So the son looks to the father. The father looks to God. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And then look how Isaac obeys him. It's beautiful. Verse nine. Then they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the top of the wood. It's believed to be that Isaac is not five years old not 10 years old. He's probably late teens or early 20s, maybe even older. You have 100 plus year old Abraham against a young strapping young man. Who do you think wins that fight in trying to tie somebody down to some wood? Definitely not the 100 plus year old. What did Isaac do? He willingly laid down his life. Why? To obey his father. And what was his father instructing him to do? To obey the Lord. You see how this is all playing out? Trust the Lord with all your heart. So then they came to the place, verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham taught in precept and principle and practice to trust the Lord with all your heart. So parents, your responsibility is to train, to teach your children God's wisdom, salvation in the gospel, to love the Lord, to serve him, and to trust in him with all their heart. Here's the second aspect of the word of God is the correction or the rehabilitation and the discipline aspect of parenting. So you teach your kids, honor me. And what do they do? Because they're sinners just like we are. They dishonor you. So what do you do? You take them to the word of God, you show them their violation, and then you discipline them for their actions. And so the second aspect of parenting that is vitally important is the aspect of discipline. So Proverbs chapter 13, starting at verse 24. 
Proverbs 13, 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son. But he who loves but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Why do you think the Bible says if you forsake physical discipline that you hate your child? Why do you think that is? And what why aren't you helping them? But why? Why aren't you helping your child at that moment? to their actions. Okay, Proverbs chapter twenty-two, fifteen is the answer. Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. Why do you hate your kid when you don't discipline them, but you love them when you do? Why? Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from them. So number one reason why discipline is absolutely important is your child is a sinner. And we know because of that, they are going to buck authority and they're going to buck the Lord. So you teach them the correct way. And when they stray off, you physically discipline. Because you hate them? No. But because you love them. Why? Because your child, and we know this, is foolish. Your kid doesn't have life experience. Amen, brother. Your kid, your kid doesn't have life experiences. You know, they haven't developed yet. They're still immature. They don't understand. So how foolish is it for parents today to have their kids run the house? It's absolutely crazy, but it happens. The foolish kid is the leader of the home. And so it produces a foolish household. So physical discipline, number one, causes the foolish child to understand wisdom. Hey, I can't take the cookies from the cookie jar. Hey, I can't go into my mom's purse and just take whatever I want. Hey, I can't punch my brother in the nose and get away with it. There are consequences to my actions. So number one, we discipline them because they are have a sin nature. We discipline them. Number two, because they are immature and foolish and they need direction. Look at Psalm or Proverbs 29, 15. This is the third reason why we are to discipline our children. The rod and reproof give wisdom. So discipline removes foolishness, and what does it add in its place? Wisdom. So you're, you're removing foolishness. You're instilling wisdom. Here's the fourth thing discipline does. It gives your kids a brighter future, and it gives your future peace. Can we all say as, as uh, 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 parents who have their kids moved out and away from the home that all you want is peace at that point? Correction at the early age produces that peace. What do you mean? Proverbs 29 and verse um, 15 again. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Correct your son, and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. 
Why do we correct them? Because when they learn early that there's, like Greg said, consequences to their actions, when they learn early to take responsibility, when they learn early there's a right and a wrong way to do this thing called life, what they will do is they will adhere to the principles that you have taught them. And as life goes on and they get older and older and their decisions become more and more impactful, they will choose the way of wisdom. That's why Proverbs 26, 22, 6 says, if you train them up, if you dedicate your child in consecration, make them holy and sanctification, mature them, grow them up in the Lord. When they're old, they will not depart. Now, that's not a promise of if you put them in Sunday school, they're, they're going to be Christians and they're never going to walk away. And that's why I'm saying it's, it's, it would be scary to say that the way is referring specifically to Christ because then you have parents who raised their kids in the church and their kids fell away and they never came back. And you say, well, what happened to Proverbs 22.6? What happened to the promise of God? Well, number one, it's a proverb. And number two, it's referring to wisdom mostly. And so you train them up in wisdom and they will grow up to be wise. And what happens when a wise person makes wise choices? Verse 17, they will bring delight to their father and give them comfort. They might get a good job. They might be able to help you in the future. They might raise their own godly kids. They're gonna be great to be around, fun to do life with. They're gonna bring delight. But what happens when they learn poor principles and they grow up and those poor principles are exercised into larger and larger impactful decisions? Well, verse 15 says they're going to bring shame to his mother. And you know what? Being a pastor now five years at this church, believe it or not, I've talked to parents whose kids are behind a liquor store. I've talked to parents who are drugged out. I've talked to uh, people who have lost their, their grandchildren or children to CPS. I've th- run the gamut across the board. And it's because these kids have grown up with illegitimate life principles and they're exercising things that are ungodly that may not fall solely on the parent. Remember Ezekiel 18, you're responsible for your own actions. You can't blame your sin on your parents. No, you are the one who's actually sinning. But parents do have a very, very large role to play. So we are to discipline them. Here's the sixth reason. We are to discipline them because it shows you love them like God loves you. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're getting close to the end. Stay with me, folks. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, then you are an illegitimate child and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We are loved by God because he disciplines us. And it's not fun in the moment, but afterwards it yields a great blessing. And I just want to point out one more thing. The eighth reason why we are to discipline our children is because they will respect you for it when they grow old. They will respect you for disciplining them and leading them in the way of righteousness. Verse nine, again, I'll read it. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Discipline will cause your children to love you more and to respect you when they get older in life because they realize everything you did was for their good. Now, quickly, when we talk about discipline, it's to be measured and controlled. And I spoke about this several weeks ago. We're not to beat the hell out of our kids. That's not the mindset. The mindset is you violated the rules, the law. This is the rule you violated. Now we are going to discipline you and then restore So think of a a house. You knock it all down and then you remodel it. You build it back up. That's the idea of discipline. So Ephesians 6.4, Colossians 3.21 says the exact same thing. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Colossians 3, fathers, do not exacerbate your children for they will lose heart. So when it comes to parenting, the, the Bible says, parents, you are to discipline, you are to instruct as the rulers of the home, and you are to lead them in the way of wisdom, but do not be overbearing. Don't be overbearing. Don't be all over them every second of every day and, and disciplining them, and it's all, all stick and no carrot. Don't do that because they will lose heart. What does that mean? Number one, the men will be timid. They're going to become more timid. And God knows we don't need any more weak men in our culture. There's a bunch of impotent weak men that are just bowing down to the ways of the world. When it comes to women, they're going to lose their voice. If you're over them constantly, just, just slamming them, they're not going to want to speak up. They're going to lose heart. Another thing that's going to happen is they're not going to want a relationship with you. The the scripture says when it comes to the contentious woman, that her family would rather live on a housetop, out in a desert by themselves, under a dripping faucet, than live with the contentious woman. The idea is overbearing. Having someone in your grill so hard that you say, I'd rather leave than be in your presence. That does the opposite because it drives them away from wisdom and it drives them to the way of the world because they're going to look for community in some other form, a gang, school, whatever. In some other form, they'll find another community and that community may not exalt God. So we train and we discipline. We dedicate, sanctify, consecrate our children, teaching them the gospel, 
to love God, to serve one another, and to, in all things, trust the Lord. We are to discipline our kids because it it breaks away their foolishness, instills into them wisdom. It shows that the love of God is there. They will love you and they will, will respect you for it. So that's part one. We have part two coming next week. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for this time in which we can study your word in which we can, Lord God, um, as parents, know how to raise our children. Those who aren't parents, we can prepare and learn ahead of time. And those who are grandparents, they can learn how to be great space bar grandparents. And so, Father, I just pray that we would consecrate our children, making them holy in the way of the Lord, and that we would discipline and restore them so that they can be a better and better and better version of themselves. God, we thank you for our kids. They are a direct blessing from you and yet a very real and great responsibility. Every parent is going to stand before you and give an account. I pray for the parents here at Journey that they would be God-fearing and that they would be instilling that into their kids. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.